title of today's Bible study, we're not doing any special thing. We're just going to continue through Mark. The title of today's Bible study, I think it's timely, is Authorized. When I was 15, I bought a Toyota pickup truck for a thousand bucks. Four-wheel drive Toyota pickup truck. And it had a blown engine. It wasn't running. It was just the shell. The engine was still in it. And my dad had a friend who had a shop. And we went over to this shop. And, and practically speaking, um, I took this thing all apart. We found another engine. I put the engine in, rebuilt the rear end, uh, had a friend help me rebuild the transmission. I did everything. And it was all ready for when I turned 16. And I'm coming to a place in my life now where I like to do stuff like that. I like to figure it out. I like to, to do it myself. I like to save money. But there's coming, there's come, I'm come, coming to a point in my life now where I, I understand the value of people who are tradesmen or do things professionally, and I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it. You know, I... I I think back to 2016, and one of the one of the most difficult things that you know Grace and I were reflecting on was that uh, we tiled our house. We had a brother in the church do it, and that was probably one of the most difficult parts. <laughs> Tiling is no joke. It gives me a new uh, respect for those guys who do it day in and day out. And there's some jobs that you have to do or that you need done throughout your life that you don't want anybody else doing unless they're authorized. From the bottom to the top, okay, maybe there's some things that you can do or you can figure out, and you, and, but there's somebody else that could probably do it better. Maybe you can figure it out. But there's other things that you don't even want to try to do because not only are you not authorized, you don't want to, you don't want to go there, you know? Like war removal or something like that. You go to the dog. It's not pleasant, right? But you're not generally going to tackle that by yourself. You're going to have a certified, authorized professional help you do it. You're not going to perform open heart surgery on one of your, your spouse or your loved ones. There's an authorization. People go through these things where they get certified. And do you know where the word uh, authorized comes from? What is it connected directly to? Authority. Authorized means that you've been given an authority to do something. That's interesting, isn't it? You've been given an authority. And somebody may look at somebody else or you and say, hey, you're not authorized to do that. What they're really saying is you don't have the authority to do that thing that you're doing. Nowadays, there's these people who are professional imposters. Have you heard of these people? There's these people who, who act like they're doing a job that they have no credentials for and they're not authorized for. Because that job makes a lot of money, but they didn't put in what it took, the, the time in school and the investment and all those things. They didn't, they didn't invest the way that they were supposed to, to get authorized for that thing. But they act like they are so that they can get that money, they can get that paycheck. And what happens when you find out, you feel ripped off, that you didn't have any authority to do that to me in my life. This is what we're talking about this morning. We're, we're looking at, in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, how Jesus was authorized by the Father as the Messiah. Jesus didn't come in his own name. 
Jesus didn't do these things in and of himself. Jesus was sent and he was authorized with the seal of approval from the Father to do these things. And, and what this, the second part of chapter 2 looks like is, is a snapshot of that authorization. And this is the reason that I like Mark. Because all of the other guys, they can get into these stories and they go into depth and detail about all the intricacies. And we want to know all the details. And Mark says, no, I'm going to give you a snapshot of the authorization of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what I see Mark chapter 1 being. And the second part of Mark chapter 1. And as we begin in chapter 12, in fact, we should back up to verse 10 to read a couple things to see what some fundamental things, one thing in particular what one fundamental thing is to be authorized. How do you get authorized? As an example from the Bible of, in Jesus Christ. Well, let's look, let's look at verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parted and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Immediately, the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast and the angels ministered to him. So Jesus we see two things happen in, at the beginning of the process of Jesus' authorization. What's the first thing we see that we just read? Jesus gets baptized, right? What, what is that? It, Jesus being the Son of God, did he have to get baptized? Well, we talked about that. Yeah, he had to fulfill the whole law. So in order for him to fulfill the whole law, he had to do all the things that were required, that was required. But, but being the Son of God, what was that act symbolic of? It was symbolic of a submission. So to receive authority, you have to submit to an authority, right? To be authorized, you have to recognize that you're not doing it in your own authority. So we see two things. God the Son submits himself in baptism to the Father, and then who does he submit himself to next? The Holy Spirit. It says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. How many people this year are looking forward to running into the wilderness? You know what the wilderness uh, symbolizes? Difficulty, trial, temptation, that's what Jesus has looked like. And Jesus says, I will submit myself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And by his submission to the Father, by his submission to the Holy Spirit, as the Son of God, he, he begins to be able to receive this authority, the authorization to be the Messiah that he was called to be. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
So throughout the gospel of Mark, Mark does this. He, he, he sandwiches ideas. He, he opens up or brings up a topic, and then he gives you a bunch of examples, and then he closes it with the other side of the sandwich. And that's how he presents it, and that's what he does with this authorization in chapter 1, the second part. He starts off with, with saying that Jesus, in his authorization of the Father and the Spirit, he begins to preach. And there's five points that we're going to look at this morning, if you're taking notes or you'd like to jot them down. There's five things that Jesus shows as he's doing ministry. There's a manifestation of his authorization. So here's the first one. Authority to preach, verses 14 and 15. Jesus had authority to preach. The time was come, and he was going to do what he was sent to do. And as he received this authority to preach, he, uh, again, immediately is used in the Gospel of Mark more than any other gospel or any other place. It's the imperative of Jesus' actions. He wasn't just willing to talk about it or talk about what he wanted to do. Immediately, he did it. So he's preaching, he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand, that repentance is an essential part of the gospel. And then verse 16 says, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Then immediately left their nets and followed him. This is number two, not too, you know, not too shortly after we received number one. Number one was Jesus had the authority to preach. Number two is that he had the authority to call. Jesus had the authority to call. If somebody went up to you and said, hey, follow me, you know, and you're like, hey, uh, no. <laughs> I don't know who you are. You look kind of funny. I don't think I'm willing to submit myself in following you. But Jesus had an authority. Now, in the Gospel of John, there is some indication that they saw Jesus before this. When uh, John the Baptist was baptizing people and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The brothers were there. But still, they, they recognize his authority in calling them. And what do they do? It says they left their father and his servants. Now, that could be indicative of something. We don't want to read too much into it. But following Jesus was more valuable than submitting themselves to their family business, which was their livelihood. Sometimes following Jesus, did I say sometimes? It's always more valuable to submit and follow Jesus than try to do something in your life to take care of yourself, to make your own money, to make your own way. Because God wants to take care of you. Look at verse 17. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now this this verse is dear to my heart. Do you know why? Because I like fish. I want to be a fisher of fishes. But I'd also like to be a fisher of men. But here's something interesting in the verbiage of this verse. To become a fisherman doesn't just mean that you become a fisherman. It's not just because you want to be a pilot. You calling yourself a pilot does not make you a pilot. If you want to catch fish, you have to know how to catch fish. And and you have to be able to demonstrate that, right? 
Jesus knows that they're not really in the place to know what he's talking about when he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So that's why he doesn't say to make you fishers of men. What does he say? Follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. You know what that means in the Greek? It means it's going to be a process. I'm going to teach you how to win others. And he had the authority in their lives to call them and to give them that promise which was going to be fulfilled. When he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who uh, also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Then they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having what? Authority and not as the scribes. See, when the scribes taught, they said, Rabbi so-and-so says this, Rabbi so-and-so says that, Rabbi so-and-so says this is what these commentaries say, this is what these people say, this is what we think. Jesus is like, I'm not going to tell you what other men think or what they're saying about this. This is the word of God and this is what it means. (laughs) Authority. And people need that kind of authority. This is the third of the five. What's the first? The authority to preach. The authority to call. And now the authority to teach. Jesus had the authority to teach others from the beginning about who God was. And it was a qualification of his authorization. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. First, I'd like to know, I don't know if you guys noticed, but this is interesting. Where was the demon possessed man? He was in church. He was in the synagogue. Now, I would like to qualify that by saying, at this particular time frame, there wasn't the presence and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't possible at this point. Jesus said, it's more beneficial for me to leave than for me to stay, because if I leave, then the the Father will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And instead of just me walking around and all these people following me all around, the, the God the Father can give the presence of his Holy Spirit to each one of you individually. And how much greater is that? The personal presence of the Holy Spirit of God. But this guy, he, he's going to the synagogue. And I think that this is indicative of, of how dead the religion was at that point. Sure, they went to church. Sure, they did the ritual. Sure, they did the rites. Sure, they had titles for people and names and qualifications and all those great things. But it was so dead that even the evil spirits 
could come in and sit down comfortably. Isn't that scary? It's scary. It reminds me in Revelation of Jesus warning the church of Ephesus about how they better return to their first love because that's what distinguished them from everybody else. And if they didn't return to represent who he, who he is rightly, then he's going to remove their lampstand. See, the church isn't the light, is it? What's the light? Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the light. You and I are simply, that word for lampstand is light bearers. We are bearers of the light. And Jesus says to the church, he says, listen, if you guys aren't going to represent me the way that, that, that I intended, that, that, that you're supposed to, I'm not going to allow you to bear my light anymore. This is the heart of what God wanted for the nation of Israel as well. And we see at this point in Scripture, God says, hey, listen, you're not doing it. You're not, you're not representing me. You're not bearing my light. You're not different from anybody. Man, Lord, I pray that our church would never come to a place where there's any question whether we should be given the great privilege and responsibility of bearing the light of God, of being his representatives and saying, you know, with all of our hearts that we're following the Lord. We're not just going to church. We're not just doing stuff because we're his representatives and taking pride in that. Yeah, it gets hard. Yeah, you make mistakes. Yeah, you sin. But you get up, you, you keep going. You're not walking alone, you're walking with brothers and sisters because when one falls, uh, another can lift up and help. Listen to the, to the evil spirit in the man's response. Uh, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. Man, I love Jesus seriously i seriously love jesus you know why have you guys looked or seen any kind of of occult practices or or any any of that kind of stuff do you know what they always have to do you know fortune teller all that garbage and baloney they have to have seances and rituals and they have to have these little relics that they that they give reverence to and they have to call spirits forth and do all this baloney and junk and maybe if we stay here for five or six hours and and we show the spirits how devoted we are to hearing from them or whatever baloney they believe Maybe, maybe we'll have some kind of experience. And you know what Jesus does? He speaks, and that's it. There's no process to the Word of God having authority in somebody's life. God says it, and it happens, and that's it. I don't have to hope in a relic or hope in a prayer to a dead saint or any of that garbage or baloney. All I have to do is trust that Jesus, His Word is final, that he has the authority? And when he says, hey, spirit, shut up. Practically, that's what he said. I know it's harsh. I'm sorry. Shut up and get out of here. What happens? It shuts up and gets out of there. He doesn't have to do a little rain dance, play a flute. He just says it. And the word of God has that power. So this would be what? This would be our fourth qualifier for authorization. The first was... I'm just trying to keep you guys awake, you know? You know that's what I'm trying to do. 
preach. The second is to call. The third is to teach. And the fourth is authority over the spirits. He's demonstrating, hey, spirit, I'm greater than you. I have authority, authorization. Get out of here. And the spirit responds by doing the only thing that it can do in response to the word of God. So we're starting to see, and it's slowly. Listen, into uh, the, the, the last part of, of chapter 1, we're going to see even a greater demonstration of Jesus' authority. Mark is ramping it up for us. Look at the next one. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue and they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. You know, I've had people tell me before, even pastors, if somebody comes to you and and they want you to pray for their headache or they want you to pray for their arthritis or they pray for, for a broken bone or whatever, you don't have to worry about it. Don't have to pray for them. You know, that stuff doesn't matter. It's going to heal anyway. Why do you want to pray to be healed from the flu? It's going to run its course quickly anyway. But that's not what the example we see in, in the scripture is, is it? This seems like it is a fever. It's not something like we're going to see in the end of chapter 1. She's not feeling well. Let's just leave it simply at that. And Jesus is like, I can take care of that. Get up. He heals her. And as soon as she heals her, the right response is, is worship and service. And it's what she starts to do. But her service is the indicator that Jesus' qualification as the Messiah is validated. Number five, what's the first? Preach, call, teach, authority over the spirits. Healing, authority over the flesh. Jesus says, I have authority over this sickness. I have authority over the flesh. And I'm going to demonstrate it by healing you and lifting you up so that you can respond in service. Verse, 20, uh, verse 32. At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So this is kind of a little, a quick little, in the, in the, toward the tail end of our five, synopsis of Jesus' authority as he continues. It's not just one time, right? It's not just once. It's continual. He continues to heal people of illnesses and cast demons out. And that's what the emphasis is on. Jesus' qualifications for his authorization, the authority that he's been given, that he is now exercising and we're going to see is giving to others as well. As we finish up, verse 35, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. 
But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. We see three things as we finish up this sandwich that we just went through. What was the first part of the sandwich? Jesus is preaching. What's the, what's the bottom bun? Whatever you want to say. <laughs> He's preaching. He's preaching. He's just spent a lot of time. He's tired. The disciples are tired. And his response to what he's supposed to be doing is he gets up early in the morning. He goes to spend time with the Father because he has to be connected to the Father to get recharged, to go out and continue doing what he's supposed to be doing. This day and age, you guys both, you and I both know, it is so easy to get sidetracked. And I find myself doing things not that, that, that I shouldn't do, right? It's, that's not the issue. The issue is that it's not the right time to be doing it. And I think to myself, I'm doing something, I'm, and I, I think, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. I'm getting off track especially with all the stuff that we have to take our attention away. But Jesus' solidarity was, was firm, and he says, I'm going to go to the next town that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. One thing I want to note for you, Galilee generally gets a little bit of a bad rap because it's kind of like the country. And when they were in Jerusalem, people kind of make fun of them a little bit or whatever. They could tell Peter was from that region. But it's also historically known that this area was very spread out, but it was very well populated. This is like going, you know, going back east and driving through what you think is one city and you just went through ten towns, Okay. We just went to St. Louis for a few days, Jesse and I, and our brother Jason Rooney, who we were blessed to hang out with while we were there, took us on a little tour of the city, took us downtown, and then he says, hey, I'm going to swing by my, my parents' house. I'll show you the house I grew up in. And we're like, that's awesome. Cool, man. You can meet my folks. That's sweet. Love to meet your, your family. So as we're driving down there, I'm like, I'm like so where do you used to live? He's like, oh, it's coming up. And, I'm, and, and I see a sign. It says uh, St. Anne's or whatever. But we kept going and passing, and I'm like, dude, is this the town? He's like, no, 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 we got to go through like a few more towns. And I'm like, wow, I thought this was all St. Louis. He's like, yeah, everybody does. But it's these little, these little principalities, these little towns of 1,000 to 10,000. They all have their own police forces and all this stuff. And you think about that in the same kind of context as in Galilee. You know, it wasn't maybe that close, but it was very close. And Jesus is going to all these different synagogues. A synagogue would represent uh, these different areas or towns. And he was diligent to preach the gospel and to go make sure everybody was hearing the good news. He wasn't skipping anybody. He didn't say, oh, that town is not going to receive me, so I'm not going to go there. How many times have we done that in sharing our faith or sharing with somebody that we had the opportunity to share with? I'm not going to share with them because, you know, who cares? Somebody else will. I don't like them. I know that they're probably not going to listen anyway. Is that a good qualification for not sharing with somebody? Not according to Jesus' example. He goes everywhere. He goes through the whole thing and he's demonstrating 
his qualifications of authority so that they could see themselves that he is the Messiah. Now, this goes to a different vein for us now because we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now we, through Jesus, have received a a level of authority to preach the gospel to others. And I see these same things, if Jesus is our example, amen, I see these same things transferring over to us as the church. We should have, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the authorization to what? Preach the gospel. And maybe you don't feel like it, and maybe it's hard, but you are authorized. And it's as simple as recognizing the calling and authorization that God has given us as the church and what Jesus did, immediately do it. We've received authorization to preach, call, call, to tell people, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. Come, follow Jesus. When we invite people to church, that's what we do, right? We call them to follow Jesus. We become ambassadors of Christ. And we don't say, hey, come to our church because Paradise Calvary Chapel is the best church in Las Vegas. Well, I say that sometimes because I'm a little biased. And it's true, so whatever. We don't call them to follow a man or a a church philosophy. We call them to follow Jesus. And Jesus himself has given us the authority in the Holy Spirit to do that. He also authorizes us to teach. That's something that is very evident in Calvary Chapel since it started. The authority that Pastor Chuck Smith had in teaching the Word of God verse by verse and chapter by chapter when nobody else was doing it. Our early days in ministry when we were ministering in a context in Croatia where there there was no other Calvaries, there were all other churches or denominations, they literally laughed in our face when we told them that we taught through the whole Bible. They said the, New, the Old Testament is irrelevant and there's no need to confuse people by going there. We said, oh, contraire, it's God's word. And if it's God's word, God's word, then it has value. And if it has value, then we're going to teach it. And by the way, we've been given authority to teach it. Before you know it, we're teaching through Genesis and one of the other ministry leaders of another church says, how come so many people are going uh, to your Bible study? He said, because none of you guys will teach Genesis. Because you're afraid of the Old Testament. The whole counsel of God's word. God has given us the authority to teach. And that, that doesn't just uh, go generally on, on the whole church or on us as a church. But it also is given as a gift to you individually. Some of you have been gifted as teachers. And you have opportunity throughout the day, throughout the week, to minister to people in the capacity of teaching them what the word of God says. He's given us the authority to preach. He's given us the authority to call. He's given us the authority to teach. And he's given us authority over the spiritual realm as well. Very clearly we're instructed. In fact, the even better verse that we can take heart in, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. That element, that spiritual element, has no dominion or power or authority over Jesus' church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. 
That is the authority that we've been given uh, against the spiritual realm from Jesus Christ himself. But the rest of the world, if you look, they're subjected and influenced and motivated by spirits that are quite questionable. And when you start to submit yourself to spirits that are questionable, you find out pretty quickly that you get yourself into a lot of trouble. If you can even realize it by the time you're already gone. And then lastly, we've been given the authority over physical. And this is something that I've struggled. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. This is something that I've struggled with since I was a young believer. I sought the Lord and said, Lord, I saw people healed in the Bible. We want to see people healed on earth. But part of the problem of not seeing people healed sometimes is that there's not really a true willingness to ask. There's not really a true willingness to submit ourselves to God. There's not really a true willingness to seek God on a level where we can see that take place or where we can put ourselves in a position where we can see it manifested. Now, don't take this the wrong way, okay? Listen, perk those ears up. But do we give God the opportunity to heal us physically when we have all these other things set up as safety nets for us when we get older. We have insurances and we have uh, retirement plans and we have all these things that are set up so that we can trust or depend on something to take care of us when we're in our time of need. Now again, I'm not telling you to cancel your 401k and cash it in and donate it to the church. You can if the Lord leads you to. This church, of course. But what I am saying is, do we give that room? Do we say, God, I know that you're capable. You've given authority over the physical to heal. There's nothing else I'm going to seek out to try to figure this out or work this out. I know that you're able. I know that you, you, you brought Sarah's womb back to life. The physical. We have to be in a place where we're willing to do that. We're willing to say, I, I, I'm not going to, to give in to trying to work this out myself. Because Jesus has given us the authority over the physical. And just as much sometimes as we see Jesus saying to his disciples when they come to him and say, Hey, Lord, we, we tried to cast this demon out and it wouldn't come out. Jesus said, This one only comes out with prayer and fasting. Sometimes we need to spend a little bit more time in prayer and you know what I'm going to say. It's hard. And fasting, prayer and fasting and seeking him for those things that, that the scripture tells us he's given us the authority to ask for, to ask for. God, would you do this thing? And he says, Tim, are you serious? Or are you just spitballing at me? You want all this stuff. You'd like to, your life to look a certain way. And are you willing to really submit yourself to me in that authority and seek me for this thing that you're asking for? Lastly, as we close up, I think we need to ask ourselves, um, are we submitting ourselves to his authority? 
to be able to live and experience the goodness of God through the things that we saw God doing in people's lives, to be able to receive the authority that he wants to give us because he is the ultimate authority? Are we submitting ourselves in a way that shows to him and to others that he is our authority, not ourselves or anybody else? And it doesn't have to be general, okay? There could be little things specifically that we're still not willing to let go of to show that he is the one that has that authority. Do you know what authority is? Again, it's someone who's in charge. Are we in charge of ourselves? Are we allowing ourselves to be submitted to him so that he's in charge and can do it? Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you that this authority that we've seen and been able to partake in, especially this past year, we've seen your authority demonstrated towards us. God, we pray that we would experience it on a greater level this year than we ever have before. And that we would be bold in stepping out, that we wouldn't be content in just coming to church and and reading the word, but we would be bold in stepping out and asking for the authority to do these things that we know since you've called your son to do, you've called us to do as well. Give us, Lord, we ask the authority to preach your gospel, the good news. Give us the authority to call people to come to, to meet you, to get to know who you are. Give us the authority to teach. Give us the authority to cast out demons, to to have the authority that we've already been given over the spiritual realm when the enemy comes in and tries to tempt us. And God, give us the authority over the physical as well. The authority to heal, the authority over our own physical bodies. Even in the sense of the, dem, uh, the, the example that we had of Jesus waking up early and separating himself. He had authority over the flesh, saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up early. I'm tired. I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to seek my Father's face. Give us that, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name so that we can be your light bearers. We thank you ahead of time because you are good, because you hear us and you answer in Jesus' name. Thank you.